You're listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Hey, uh, good evening. Gorgeous day out there, isn't it? See, and again, when you, when you really kind of lack a deep and a growing and abiding and intimate relationship with God, what oftentimes happens is we'll be content living for him rather than in him or he in us. And so I want to kind of talk about that um, tonight uh, just in relationship that when we opt for, again, religion versus a relationship, oftentimes what happens is uh, what we have with God oftentimes becomes very kind of fake, it's unreal, it's kind of stale, there's, an, there's kind of an unauthenticity about it, and it just kind of really boils down to becoming kind of just unappealing religion. And as the video kind of communicated, God really wants something deeper uh, with each one of us. Again, but it often takes two. And God is always more than willing to do his part. And more often, we are kind of more content with a form of religion rather than the power um, thereof. And so I want to kind of just continue talking on the spiritual issue of really how do, we, uh, how do we develop, how do we deepen and increase our intimacy with uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And to me, one of the greatest hidden dangers um, in uh, Christian living and Christian ministry really kind of occurs when we live the Christian life really kind of apart from and separate from um, the power and the presence of Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We kind of, you know, really touched pretty heavy on the importance of that um, this last Sunday and again, it really oftentimes becomes very, very easy. And again, I think there's just kind of this natural gravitational pull um, to kind of be consumed with and content with, you know, Christianity um, and ministry, kind of really detached from and apart from the power um, of Christ. And when that happens, um, and it happens more often um, than you think. Just consider a few of the statistics um, I ran across regarding burnout just among pastors, the clergy in the United States. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry each month due to moral failures, spiritual burnout, or unresolved conflicts in their church. 50% of pastors' marriages end in divorce. 80% of pastors, 84% of their spouses feel unqualified and discouraged in their role as pastors. 50% of pastors are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but have no other way of making a living. I often joke that I do very few things well, and you can see why. 80% um, of seminary and Bible school graduates who enter the ministry will leave the ministry within the first five years. Um, and I think that even goes up. They call it the seven-year itch in ministry. 70% um, of pastors continually fight depression. Almost 40% polled said they had an extramarital affair since the beginning of their ministry. 70% said the only time they spend studying the Word is when they are preparing their sermons. Now again, without sounding judgmental and making this really oversimplistic, um, that last statistic, I think, oftentimes is really kind of at the root 
uh, and the cause of everything else that's kind of fermenting um, in that spiritual burnout. Again, any time you attempt to live the Christian life or to do Christian ministry apart from, without tapping into the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, the Word of God, the person of Jesus Christ, the results are always eventually at some point going to unravel. They're going to be unfulfilling, disappointing, and frustrating. And again, this goes not just for pastors, but it goes for lay people alike. I mean, you know, there are just as many of these issues that affect pastors as affect laity uh, in the church as well. Now, again, um, the Bible is full of, again, statements, commandments, stories that really kind of serve to remind and re-remind us of this very core truth. Jesus said in John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, nothing spiritually significant is going to occur when you have detached yourself from the vine, okay? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Again, nature teaches, reinforces uh, this consistently without exception, as a branch, you cannot produce anything uh, apart from the tree. You never are going to find a, a, a branch laying on the ground under an apple tree, you know, separated, broken off from the apple tree, that's ever going to produce an apple. It, it just isn't going to happen. You'll never see a peach branch um, unless it's connected to a peach tree, will never produce one peach. The point Jesus is making here is as Christians, you cannot, you will not ever produce anything of spiritual significance apart from abiding in Christ and Christ in you and his words abiding and flowing in and through you. That is just a simple core spiritual truth. Amen? Difference between abiding in Christ and not abiding in Christ. Again, there's lots of examples uh, of what, you know, what is the fruit of one, what is the fruit of the other. What's the fruit when one abides in Christ? What's the fruit of the other when they don't abide in Christ? Well, again, Paul kind of wraps this up uh, at the end of Galatians 5.19. He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. He said, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Now, this is a list of what you're going to produce in your life apart from the power and presence of Christ working in you, okay? This is, these are just some of the things you can expect to flow from your life. Again, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of 
anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which Paul said, I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he says, okay, that's what's going to manifest when you are separated from the power, the presence of Christ, when that's not operating in your life, these are the deeds, that this is what's going to manifest. Now Paul says, now, the, the manifestation, the fruit of the Spirit, what's going to manifest when the Spirit of God is, is, is abiding in you and you're abiding in him, Paul says, it's going to produce. Again, we talked about this, I think we did a study on this, was it last year? Yeah, um, and we talked about, again, we went through all of these. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is something the Holy Spirit will and wants to produce in and through you. And he says, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the kinds of fruit you can expect to manifest when you, the branch, are connected to Jesus, the vine. When you abide in him and he abides in you, this is what you can expect to produce from that. And Paul says, against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So apart from abiding from being intimately connected to Jesus Christ, through the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit listed there, they will never, ever manifest in your life because it's not a work of the flesh. It's not you trying harder. It's not you trying to be better. It's you dying to self. It's you being crucified to Christ. I think Galatians 2.20. I am crucified. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As Christians, we're dead. We're dead to self. And we're alive unto God. We're alive unto Christ. We're alive through the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's intimacy. When that happens, these are the kinds of things that are going to begin to be produced and manifest from your life. Now, you can... Go back, and you can look at the list of the flesh, list of the spirit. What's manifesting in your life? That'll tell you. Are you connected? It's quiet in here tonight. So much of our failing and so much of our falling in the Christian life and ministry are really the results of lacking intimacy with God of really not being connected, of not abiding in Christ, nor allowing him nor his word to abide in us. Again, apart from a relationship, intimate relationship with God, you're going to lack even the desire or the ability um, to abide in him. And that is going to have a catastrophic, enormous effect uh, and influence on our lives and our ministry for both good and for bad, whether you're a lay person or a pastor. Now, Matthew 25, uh, Jesus tells a story, and it's actually a parable, and he wants to illustrate for us again, and he wants to kind of give us a picture of those who are intimately connected to him um, and those who aren't. Now, if you're familiar with that chapter, it's a story about ten virgins, and five are wise and five are foolish. If you've never read that parable, I would encourage you to do that. 
uh, either tonight or sometime this week. Um, and what the point of the parable is, is you kind of look at that and you begin to look at the implications of that parable is that the five um, wise virgins were those who really put their intimacy, their relationship with God ahead of their ministry, while the five foolish virgins in the story really kind of put their life, their ministry before intimacy with God. Um, and we're going to look at that tonight, and I want to see what we can learn, what can we take away from what Jesus is telling us there. Now, beginning in verse 1 there, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened or comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Who is the bridegroom in the story? Jesus, yes. So that first word there, then. Now, oftentimes we read things like that word then, and it really doesn't do anything. We just kind of go on to the next word. But that word there in Matthew 25, chapter 1, that word then there is a very, very important word, and it serves a very, very important function. Okay, so it's crucial to understand what is that word, why is it there, what is it intending to convey. Now, that first word there in chapter 25, and by the way, the disciples did not, when they wrote the Gospels, when they wrote Paul's, when Paul wrote his epistles, they did not break this down into chapters and verses. It was just kind of one continuous flow. Uh, when we kind of began to put the canon together, we kind of went back, we broke it down, we kind of divided it into chapters and verses, but it originally wasn't written that way. So that first word there in chapter 25, verse 1, connects, it continues, and it pertains to what was said prior to chapter 25, verse 1. Okay? And that would be chapter 24. And Jesus is telling them this parable that he says, I, I want to tell you this parable, and it's going to be comparable to wise and foolish virgins. But he says, I want to preface this parable. Before I get into that story, Jesus prefaces the story by talking about all of the signs of what is going to occur upon the earth prior to his second coming. Now, the first coming of Jesus was the incarnation, Christmas. It's, you know, Jesus became, uh, God took on flesh, became a human being. That's the first coming. The second coming of Jesus is when he's going to come back again. So Jesus is saying, before I tell you that story, let me just tell you what are going to be the signs that are going to be leading up to the fulfillment of this story. So in order to really get at and understand what Jesus is talking here, in Matthew chapter 25, he uses the word then to connect it back to what comes before that, and that's in Matthew chapter 24. So to, to understand Matthew chapter 25, you've got to start back at Matthew chapter 24 because 
Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25 is one continuous flow thought story. We have broken it into chapters. So, you know, today you could read Matthew chapter 24. Tomorrow in your devotions read Matthew chapter 25. And you've kind of separated the two enough that you can almost kind of convince yourself these are two completely different separate thoughts chapters. They're not. What Jesus is saying with that word then there is this is connecting to and pertaining to what came before the word then. Does that make sense? Okay. So, to really understand chapter 25, Jesus is saying you really got to go back and understand everything that leads up to chapter 25. And this is Jesus' final sermon. This is his final teaching before he went to the upper room for the Last Supper and then on to the cross. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, the disciples posed this question to Jesus. And he said, would you describe for us or just give us an idea of what are the signs that we need to be looking for in anticipation to you coming again at the end of this current age or dispensation. And all that follows in chapter 24, and I'm not going to take time to go through all of that uh, in, in great detail, but Jesus begins to describe for them in answering their question, what signs do we look for that are going to be an indicator that you're going to be coming back again? And so there in Matthew 24, he kind of just begins to say, okay, let me just give you some ideas of what you want to look for, okay? As the time of Jesus' second coming draws near, okay, the only way that I can really adequately describe or put into words for you the way events will be unfolding upon the earth leading up to that time can only be described as what will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen, while at the same time, the simultaneously that this great revival is taking place, there is going to come upon the earth some of the greatest calamity and destruction we have ever witnessed simultaneously all happening at the same time upon the earth. So as Jesus' second coming approaches, there is going to be this tremendous, never seen before, never experienced before, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it is going to increase, it will intensify, while at the same time, simultaneously, there is going to be a great outpouring of darkness and evil upon the earth, and it will increase and it will intensify as Jesus' time for his second coming draws nearer. So when people ask the question, is it going to get better or is it going to get worse the closer we get to the second coming of the Lord? The correct answer is both. Yes, it, it's going to get a lot brighter. It's going to get a lot darker. There will be a great revival. There's also going to be a great falling away simultaneously at the same time across the globe and both of these movements will increase in 
intensive and intensify as the time of his return draws near. Now the reason this is so important and why Jesus prefaces the story of the ten virgins. Again, remember the point of the story. What made five wise was they put their relationship, their intimacy with Jesus, with the Father, ahead of everything else. Their life, their ministry. That's what made them wise. The oil in the story, we'll get more into that next week. The oil in the story represents the Holy Spirit. Okay? What made them wise was that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will take care of themselves. What made the five foolish was they got more concerned about all these other things and they kind of put seeking God first and, and his uh, righteousness kind of behind all these other things. That's what made them foolish. And so Jesus is kind of, again, I, I don't want you to forget that's the, that's the point of the story. So again, you cannot properly understand, you cannot get an accurate interpretation of Matthew chapter 25 without understanding Matthew chapter 24. Okay, when you read through Matthew 24, you look at the signs Jesus refers to, again, our tendency is to think, yeah, we've always had wars. I mean, I can't think of a time in my life where we haven't been at where there hasn't been a war somewhere in the world. I mean, I, that's probably true for every one of us in this room, no matter how old you may be. There's always been wars occurring somewhere at some time upon the face of the earth. We've always had famines and earthquakes, okay? So what kind of signs are these and how are these signs indicators of his coming again? When we've always had wars, hunger, and earthquakes. Well, Jesus gives us a very interesting clue there in Matthew chapter 24 beginning with verse 6. And here's what he says. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars or rumors of war, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation. We've always had that. How is that going to be a sign? We've always had that. Kingdom against kingdom, we've always had that. How is that going to be different? There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But here's the key. Here's the key. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains. More to come. Now that last sentence is key. For those of you who have ever given birth naturally, and we have an expert in the room tonight. She's in the back back there. And I, if you've given birth before, moms, okay, you understand this better than anybody in this room. Is it not true the closer you get to giving birth, the closer and the more intense the pains become? What is that an indicator of? It's coming. It's coming. Now, I was in the delivery room. I was actually at home. And, and dads, you know the sign. When those birthing pains get closer and closer together and they kind of begin to intensify, what do we do? 
get her to the hospital or you're going to be doing this at home. Yeah, that's what Jesus is saying. He says, it's not so much the signs as much as it's going to be that they're just going to get closer and closer and closer together and they're going to intensify. That's why there's going to be a great time of revival and a great time of darkness. And the closer it gets to Jesus, they're just going to happen closer and closer and closer. There's almost going to be like they're simultaneously happening at the same time. And they're just going to increase in intensity, just like childbirth pains. That's what he's saying. He says, that's what you start looking for. I mean, look at this past week. I mean... What was a 7.8 earthquake in Nepal, um, killing at least, I think the last death toll I saw was 4,600. I mean, they're estimating this could go as high as, uh, is it what? Five. Yeah, five now. They're estimating it could go as high as 10,000. I mean, there were thousands and thousands injured. I think millions of people were somehow in some way affected by this earthquake. In California, I mean, we had historic droughts now unlike california's ever seen i mean i think uh the uh governor jerry brown out there first time in the history of california they have actually gone with statewide water restrictions um so this time of year i mean you, you kind of see more and more severe storms involving flooding tornadoes wildfires they they this is that time of year where they're just going to kind of start to occur uh, with lightning strikes again is one of the main causes you just look at all of the unrest in the united states in this past year i mean what was it last fall we had ferguson we, we've had, uh, again, race riots in New York City. Look at what Baltimore is going through right now. Um, I mean, there are protesters. They're looting. They're burning buildings, destroying businesses. Look at all of, again, the wars occurring around the world right now. I mean, how many of you are aware of what they're doing, uh, ISIS is doing, in the Middle East? I mean, there is a holocaust going on right now against Christians and churches in the Middle East. Um, so you've got, you've got great persecution uh, of Christians happening in the Middle East. Um, you have Iranian warships right now kind of looming uh, threats against ally or, or, uh, Israel as its ally, the United States. I mean, for the most part, we have kind of stepped back and we have remained pretty complacent and, and quiet, uh, and, and we have a president who just kind of seems to resent Israel and its leadership. Now again, as devastating, as catastrophic as each one of those events are in and of themselves, okay, as the time of Jesus draws near, what he says to his disciples is, it's not that those signs are occurring, they're always occurring. The key is, is they are going to happen on an even larger scale all over the world. And they are going to occur side by side almost as if simultaneously. I mean, can you imagine earthquakes that rocked Nepal kind of just happening all over the world at a greater intensity than 7.8 and happen that they are timed just so closely together it as, as, uh, almost as if simultaneously. I mean, can you imagine tornadoes 
I mean, if you remember a couple of years ago, I think it was back in 2011, those tornadoes that ripped through like Joplin, Missouri, uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, and again, these are the types of things that are going to occur at a greater intensity all over the world. Uh, you're going to have you know, worldwide famine, unprecedented drought, deadly world wars. All of this is just going to occur. It's going to unfold one after another simultaneously. Um, and again, all of these events happen right now. We all can go back. We can find examples. Some are current. Some are not so current of all of these signs that Jesus said will point to his return, but he basically says the key to it all is these signs when they start occurring like childbirth pains. Closer and closer together and more intensified, that is a sign that I am about to come. So again, um, as the time of Jesus' return draws near, events like the ones that we just looked at, Okay, are going to occur in greater intensity, force, and they're going to occur over a time period of not months, but days apart. Okay, so instead of it being okay in January, February this happened, March this happened, April, it's going to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, these very catastrophic events happen. As Jesus' return draws closer, it's not going to be days apart, it's going to be hours apart. This catastrophe happened at 10, this one at 11, this one at noon, this one at 1. And, and it's just going to, so you understand what, this is what Jesus is saying. This is what you watch for. And this isn't being caused by global warming or climate change or whatever the new buzzword is. All of this is caused by what I like to call uh, global groaning. And it is, uh, is man-made uh, global groaning because it, it really is the result of original sin. Paul makes this point in Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 19. He says, for all of creation is waiting eagerly. There's, there's an anticipation within creation that is eager for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. That's when Jesus comes back. That's what's going to happen. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. So when Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't just them that reaped the consequences of that. That sin also uh, affected creation. And he said, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. There again is that key for childbirth. So again, when Adam and Eve sinned there in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't just them that was thrust, or humanity, mankind that was thrust into chaos, death, and destruction, but so was all of creation. So every tornado, every earthquake, every war, every wildfire, every hurricane, it is the groaning of creation longing to be freed from God's curse put upon it through the sin of mankind. Does that make sense? Okay. And just as we long to be freed from sin and the effects of sin upon us, okay, creation longs for that um, as well. Now, again, as the day of Jesus' return 
those natural disasters will occur just like the arrival of a newborn baby, greater pains closer together. Again, as all these natural disasters occur, greater miracles, greater outpourings of the Holy Spirit are going to occur simultaneously. Luke 11 confirms this. It says, there will be great earthquakes, there will be great famine and plagues in many lands. There will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. There you have it. He just said that the, the two are going to just come together. They're going to happen, overlap simultaneously. Um, and uh, that will be a sign. Now, for the believer, we're going to take great comfort in that if we understand this. You know, when that comes, if we don't, again, get into fear or anxiety over that, we're going to look at this and we're going we're to take great comfort. It, we'll experience, you know, some trials and difficulties uh, as well. But again, it, it will also be a time of just great anticipation, eagerness. Man, th this is happening. I don't like looking at it. I don't like what it's doing, but I know what it's telling me. I know what it's alerting me. I know what it's preparing me for. Does that make sense? Okay. Now again, why am I telling you and what does this have to do with intimacy with God? Again, Luke 21 describes the same events as Matthew 24. And Luke says that as the greatest revival and greatest calamity are both happening simultaneously upon the earth, it will be so intense, verse 26, men's hearts failing them for fear. Again, the temptation is going to be that we're going to get in, we're going to be given to fear in this. And men's hearts, and, and again, this is literally, he's talking your organ, your, your, your physical heart. It's going to be filled with so much fear, it is literally going to fail you. He's talking about heart attacks here. And for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth, for the power of heaven shall be shaken. So again, it's the best of times, the worst of times are unleashed upon the earth, signaling the imminent return of Christ. It will be so wonderful and so horrific at the same time that people's hearts will literally fail them due to the great fear those events will evoke. I saw the day, uh, day, other day uh, in the newspaper, and I've seen several articles like this before, and it's always kind of uh, interesting, um, about a woman who woke up at her own funeral. Can you imagine that? Would that like not be the strangest, weirdest thing to happen? Lying there in her casket, and people were walking by her, and they were looking at her, and they were weeping. I'm sure probably talking about how wonderful she looked. Oh, it just looks like she's sleeping, and all of a sudden her eyes pop open, and yeah, she, so says that, you know, that there were actually people there that, that when she opened her eyes and sat up, there were people that actually, literally in the story, said that they fell over dead from a heart attack. It scared, it scared the daylights out of them. So Jesus said there in Matthew 24 that the events and signs that are coming upon the earth prior to his return will catch most people by complete, total surprise. Like, like a dead person sitting up at a, at a funeral. And, and, and that literally the fear that will grip them because of that will, there, will cause their hearts to fail. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 37 says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Um, he said, in those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came, swept them all away. He says, this is the way it's going to be when the Son of Man returns. 
It's, it, I think, you know, there's the analogy like, like a thief in the night. A thief doesn't alert you, doesn't notify you in advance. I'm coming to rob your house. He just shows up unannounced, unplanned for surprise, okay? So it will unleash such fear in the hearts of mankind. The Bible says that their hearts will literally fail. Now, what is the antidote to fear? Faith, perfect love, is it not? Scripture says perfect love cast out all fear. When we allow God's perfect love to abide in us, that's the intimacy. That, that's what God is wanting to draw you into right now. This is what the five wise virgins did. They were in perfect love. They put their love for God, their love for Jesus, their love for the Holy Spirit ahead of their life, their ministry. Perfect love will keep you from fear. Okay? Perfect love is found, it's formed, it's experienced again. As we abide, as we connect to the vine, as we, again, just, just pursue that intimate, deep relationship um, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When the day of the Lord draws nearer and nearer, all these signs are going to magnify, they're going to intensify, they're going to manifest because of his love for us and our love for him. Again, your heart will be established at a, in, a, in a perfect place, perfect love, perfect peace. Um, and again, Jesus warned us that when those signs come, you have a choice to make, okay? You have a choice to make now. You have a choice to make then. Are you, are you going to give in? Do you play into the fear? Do you respond to, to the fear? Or do you begin to just deepen you just kind of begin to connect more deeply to the vine. You abide in him, he in you. You abide in his perfect love. His perfect love abides uh, in you. And again, when our hearts are established in him, again, uh, uh, the, the peace of Christ will guard your heart, right? Isn't that what scripture says? And mind in Christ Jesus. That, that's why that's important, and that's, that's a byproduct of intimacy. So again, Jesus is telling his disciples, Matthew 25, that when the greatest and worst of times is unfolding upon the earth, again, as described in Matthew 24, he says, here, he says, now, when that happens, I want to tell you what the kingdom of God is comparable to, what it's going to be like um, at that time. And that's why Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, starts with the word, then. When Matthew 24 fully culminates, then the kingdom of God upon the earth will be like the three parables that Jesus tells in Matthew 25. And in Matthew 25, he gives them three parables. Next week, we're going to look at that first parable. But I kind of want to just set you up um, with understanding. Because again, if you don't understand what's in chapter 24, you're not really going to fully appreciate what's in chapter um, 25. And again, it's, it's the parable of the five wise, the five foolish virgins. Five were prepared, five were unprepared. The outcome could not have been more stark. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Any questions? I, I know I kind of covered a lot of stuff tonight. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.com. 
www.ghostbusinessradio.org.